Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I thank you for joining us today as we are continuing our verse-by-verse study out of the book of Revelation, and this is proving to be, to me, a very exciting study, and I know I hear from from some of you from time to time, and I know that some of you are following along and haven't missed any, as one person told me last week. And so I want to give you a a point of reference here. I'm in Revelation chapter 9, and I was going to try to cover uh, verses 1 through 12, but I think that would be uh, as impossible as as a task to be could be. Uh, I'm not going to be able to cover 12 verses, so I'm going to try to cover one or two verses, and uh, maybe we can get through verse 1. I'm not sure how far we can go, but again, that's not my purpose to see how far I can get. My purpose is to teach from the Scriptures and to learn as much as we possibly can. And so so I encourage you to take your Bible and read along if you can. Join me as as I I read this to you. I'm only going to read, I I think, probably the first three verses. Again, this is Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, And the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth. And power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 4. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass or the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Wow. I I don't know if you can even visualize this yet because we haven't really talked about this, but many of you have been telling me you've been waiting for this passage to come up. And I know the first time I ever taught this passage, I thought it was a very frightening passage to teach. And you'll see in just a minute. But we're seeing the very events that take place in the last part of the great tribulation period known as the day of the Lord. Again, the tribulation period is a seven-year period, and uh, to note the rapture has already taken place, so it's the judgment that is uh, uh, coming upon the earth after the church has been removed. And it's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble that Daniel speaks of. And we know it as the, uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel, in which God begins once again to deal redemptively with uh, the nation, uh, his nation, the Jews. And so we, we're seeing this and we're, we're following this along and we come here to this section and we've gone through this period known as the tribulation, which will last seven years, as I've said. It's been described to us in these seven seals. Actually, there is one scroll sealed seven times and each time a seal is opened, another judgment event hits. We saw that beginning in chapter 6. So when we hit the sixth seal back in chapter 6, we entered into the day of the Lord, or as we said, that chapter 6 was basically like a summary, and all of the chapter 6 could be going on during the time of the tribulation period, except uh, the sixth seal, uh, because that is the summation, that is the end of it. And so we come to the seventh seal in chapter 8, and in it are seven trumpets, And in the final trumpet, the seven bowls. So last time we looked at the first four trumpets. You remember the first trumpet was a judgment on the land. The second trumpet was judgment on the sea. The third trumpet was judgment on the fresh waters. And the fourth trumpet was the judgment of heavenly bodies or planets. 
as verse 12 says, the third of the sun, third of the moon, a third of the stars were smitten, and a third of the of them might be darkened, and day might not shine for a third of it and night in the same way. <clears throat> well, that's real. This is a real look at the future. When John sees this in the future, he's not seeing a possibility of something that's going to happen. He is seeing for sure something that is going to happen. So if we come to the end of this great period, the judgments are devastatingly terrible. There's all that's just no way to get around it. The judgments on the land were fierce. Uh, they destroyed a third of the trees and the shrubs and all the green grass. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the judgment on the sea was some great mountain-sized uh, uh, body uh, catapulting out of space to hit the waters and devastated the sea, killing a third of what was in it and destroying a third of the ships. We we saw that. And then the judgment on the fresh water was a judgment that resulted in a death. And it's because the waters were made bitter, or the waters were uh, were poisonous, and they killed people. It destroyed a lot of the fresh water. And then more collapsing, collapsing sky. As frightening as those were, as terrorizing as they are, <clears throat> they are only, in a sense, preliminary to the fearsome judgment that comes in this section known as the, the blasting of the fifth trumpet. Now think about this. For, the, for thousands of years... As Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens have been declaring the glory of God. And we, we've looked at that. We've actually, in fact, that's actually on uh, the, the, this website, Hope for the Heart. It's one of the very first few messages that, that began there. It has, and it says in Psalm 19.1, the, the glory of God is uh, the heavenly bodies shout out the glory of God. But now we're seeing through these trumpet blasts that heaven is declaring his wrath. Uh, still in his glory, still declaring his glory, but through the, the wrath side of his glory. And when you come to the end of the first four trumpets, heaven is unfolding, unraveling as it would appear to be. And at the end of chapter 8, the last verse provides a transition into chapter 9. And look at what it says. I looked and John, again in the vision, sees, I heard an angel. And some translations we looked at last week says, an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice. I, I don't know whether an angel would be scarier or an eagle. Uh, but um, either way, both are, are, are unnatural sights. So people don't always see that. And then he says, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet and of the three angels who are about to sound. So that is brings us up to date. So I want to give you a couple of observations uh, just to kind of get us into this section and so we can look at this. And uh, forgive me if I seem like I'm talking fast, but there's just so much I want to cover. And so I hope that you're able to listen to this and make a few notes or or even uh, listen to it again. One person told me they had to listen to last week three times. Uh, and that, that's fine. That's, I don't have any problem with that. They want to hear it three times. But I want to give you some general observations. and kind of like uh, sidelights or, or backdrop to the, the bigger picture here of what's going on. And the, number one is this is the first woe. Uh, we, we saw in, in chapter 8, verse 13, this transition verse that I mentioned. There's three woes that are pronounced there. And a woe, we said, is a, can be translated or defined as a damnation or a, a sentencing or an execution or some, some even use it as a judgment or even a curse. And so it's a, it would be three woes would be three judgments uh, using that one word or it could be warnings, a, th a judgment warning that more is coming along the way. And we get the implication from reading this that you think these were bad, the first four trumpets, 
there are three more coming, and they are really bad. And so we look at these, the, the judgments are a warning of more judgment coming. Uh, the first woe is uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And then the second woe covers chapter 9, thir- verse 13, to uh, chapter 11, verse 14. And then the third woe covers uh, chapter 11, verse 15, to chapter 16, verse 21. Uh, and again, those are not that important. Uh, we'll be looking at those as we get there uh, and showing you how the three woes, just how bad they really are. So this passage today is the first woe. And again, I want to give you another general observation. is It is a worldwide judgment or a universal judgment. There's no country going to escape this, uh, whether they be a poor country, rich country, uh, a Christian country that some some places uh, call themselves Christian because of more Christians, uh, evil country. It doesn't matter. It covers everyone on the earth. And what is the time frame? The time is during the seven year period, known as the tribulation period. And I believe this is about midway through it. So this would be after the first three and a half years. This is just possible. It doesn't lay it out like this exactly. But we have so many indicators that would tell us it's the second half, which is known as the Great Tribulation Period, or the time of Jacob's trouble. Again, another observation would be people are still being saved at this point. In other words, people are becoming believers at this point. True, genuine, born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's good to know. Uh, that there are people being saved because the the warnings, these warnings are, are good judgments, are bringing some people to Christ. Now, I don't know why uh, you would tend to think that judgments like this, it would cause everyone to fall on their knees and, and repent of their sins and become a believer. But as we saw in chapter 6, when this gets really, really bad, uh, it says the king's In chapter 6, verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich, the strong, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks and the mountains. And instead of praying and repenting of their sins and becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it says they pray to the mountains and to the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And then it closes out chapter 6 by saying, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Well, you would think that the passage might read, and they all of these people, where, no matter what sect or group they're from in the earth, would, would bow down and, and, and praise the Lord or worship the Lord, as the as Old Testament phraseology would go. But it doesn't say that. And so you wonder how much judgment does it take for people to repent? Just hold that question somewhere, and you can write that down. We're going to answer that eventually, but just not in today's lesson. So people are still being saved at this point. And then I want you to look at verse 13 of chapter 8. I want you to notice something. To those who dwell on the earth is a phrase that is in there. So who is getting the blunt of this? Who is receiving this? Who is this warning, this woe, woe, woe uh, per, uh, pronouncement of more severe judgment coming? Who is this that it says to those who dwell on the earth? Well, uh, 
And we look at this, and woe to those who dwell on the earth. It's a very important phrase. You might even want to underline it because you're going to see it repeatedly throughout the book of Revelation. It's used in chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 11, chapter 13, and chapter 17. And so it's a technical term. Listen to this, for the unregenerate living on the earth. In other words, it's a technical term for unbelievers. Excuse me for using uh, a word like unregenerate. I, some people say I, some words I choose to use or they don't understand them. But unregenerate means unbelievers. So in other words, woe to those unbelievers on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So this would be woe to the ungodly, or you could say woe to the evil ungodly. Woe to those who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Woe to those people because of the judgments that are coming. And so you have to ask again, why is this angel, or as people people are wanting sometimes to debate, this is not an angel, it's an eagle, because their translation says eagle. Well, either way, why is whatever it is flying around, whether it's an eagle or an angel, warning people? Well, it would have to be mercy, would it not? Would it have to? Would it? Would it? It just seem to be that this is the mercy of God being displayed to give people a warning to repent, to believe, to be saved, because the next judgment's coming. It is going to be a terrible, terrible time. You remember Ezekiel 33, chapter 11, says this. God has, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So think about that. He's warning them. You also think about the flood that came. God was warning the people on earth to repent, to, to fear God in the judgment that was coming. Uh, it's going to rain for all this time, and it's going to flood the earth. Well, what did people do? They spent their time mocking Noah. They didn't believe that. In fact, Noah, out of 120 years of preaching, has zero converts. None. Uh, and so you, you have to just think about this. Still, God warns. I suppose that's, uh, that's why there are over 600 warnings in Scripture about hell. God has no pleasure in the death of the, wick, the wicked. It also says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's also eager to warn the lost about judgment to come. Something to think about. And then when you think about what is actually going to happen on earth in the midst of all these activities and you begin to analyze them, uh, you you know, like the first four trumpets, remember, they involved the devastation of the physical nature. You can only imagine what that's going to be like and why everyone is not repenting. But as I begin to think through this, uh, particularly against the backdrop of the environmental preoccupation uh, that's in our world today, actually the environmental cult that exists in our world today, people have across our, our, our globe... People have a false security in the law of uniformity. That is, they, they have a false security in the idea that everything is always going to continue the same as it has from the beginning. Well, think about that. One day, these events are going to start. One day, they're going to look up in the sky and see some of these tremendous signs, whether it be the, the falling stars or whether it be the devastation of just these first four trumpets. People are going to realize 
Things are not going to continue as they have always. Things are, are different today. Something is going on that is different than what happened yesterday. And so that is going to be a frightening time for the people on the earth. In fact, Luke uh, even tells us that people will, their heart will faint or their heart will stop because of the fear of the things coming upon the earth. So let, let's get into the outline so we'll see how far we can get. I know all of that just kind of sets the stage for it. Number one, I want you to look at verse one of chapter nine. The fifth angel sounded, and that what that means is that's one of the seven trumpets, and you can go back to chapter eight, is about to sound. And this is the fifth one to sound, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. I want you to notice, first of all, a star from heaven had fallen. As one of these trumpet players, uh, one of these angels, is, he probably can't wait to blow his trumpet. I don't know. But I want you to note, it says that this star, uh, which is a very interesting thing. So number one on the outline is there's a person here. I want you to notice the person. Notice, first of all, that nine, chapter 9, verse 1, it says at the very end of the verse, the key, the star, uh, the, a star which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. Him being uh, referring to the star. So this star fallen is now given a personal pronoun, him. And then look at verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit. So this person, this star, is a person. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a different kind of star. And, you know, we've all seen shooting stars. I know as a child growing up, we one of our favorite things to do of course, we didn't have internet. We didn't have cell phones. We only had three stations on the television. I think ABC, NBC, and CBS. And uh, so we we didn't have a lot of TV. We didn't even watch TV much. We, we'd be outside playing ball or whatever. And uh, but we saw shoot, shoot, we see a lot of shooting stars, and we've all seen our share. But people living in this generation that's going to go through these judgments will have seen some of the likes of which we have never seen. Some of the falling stars in the amount will be more of, a, of an attention grabber than ever before. Like chapter 8, uh, a great mountain burning with fire falls into the sea. Uh, and then uh, uh, chapter 11, and, and you begin to see these things. But this, in chapter 9, verse 1, this is not a star like any of those stars. This is a different star because it about this star that the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. This is a star like we think of, we could say like a movie star or an athletic star or a music star. There's some kind of person here, some angelic person who could be identified in the terminology found in, in Job 38, 7, which talks about angels as stars. This star is uh, would be a spiritual dimension that we're looking at. This star, it says, has already fallen to the earth. In other words, this is a fallen star. Not it is actually falling, and people are going to see it falling. It is the present tense falling, or the perfect tense falling, already with ongoing results. In other words, it happened already in the past, and the results are still moving forward. The fall is in the past with continuing reality. And so this is what we're dealing with here in this passage. But I want to read you something, and again, I, if I get out of verse 1 today, it's going to be amazing. But I want you to think about Isaiah chapter 14. Let, let me ask you uh, to, to turn back to Isaiah 14, or you can just make note of it. 
Isaiah 14, uh, Satan is referred to as the day star, the son of the morning, who Isaiah describes, I believe, the fall of Satan or Lucifer. It says in Isaiah 14. Listen to what it says. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, referring to Lucifer, son of the dawn, referring to Lucifer? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Why? Because you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly, on the mount of assembly in the recess the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses recesses of the pit. This is, this is found in Isaiah chapter 14. That is describing Satan or Lucifer's fall from heaven. And so he is now a fallen, F-A-L-L-E-N, fallen star. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Here is Satan. The fallen one is identified. We now know who that fallen one is. And to take a broader look at that, there is even a better look at this in Revelation chapter 12, verse beginning in verse 7. Uh, and you begin to see the, the waging battle that uh, Michael the archangel and has with Satan uh, referred to as the dragon in verse 9 tells us that the dragon is the devil the Satan who deceives the whole world but they're having a war with the dragon and the dragon and his angels waged war Uh, they're not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He is thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I don't want to cover all of that because that is going to be a look when we get to chapter 12. But just to bring it to your attention that that's there, Satan had access to go back and forth to God. So if you question, you need only look at Job chapter 1 where Satan comes before the throne of God to accuse saints, and he's still doing it. What he was doing in Job chapter 1, he is still doing today. Verse 10, now the salvation uh, he's talking about here, and it talks about uh, Satan going before uh, the throne day and night. So I believe happens in the time of the tribulation period. It may be the abomination of desolation or the midway point. And it could be what triggers the second half of the terrors. What would be? What chapter 9 says. And we'll, we'll get into what all it's saying. But what tells us is that not all demons are on the earth. Satan isn't even on the earth all the time. And it reminds you, people who are running around trying to rebuke Satan and bind Satan, we don't even, most likely Satan's not even listening to them. They can't bind somebody that's not even listening to them. They treat Satan sometimes like God. God is omnipresent and omnipotent. Not Satan. He's not. And he's not omniscient. But Satan is running around to and fro. By the time we, of, of, of when we see this in the tribulation period, this is a time when Satan is spending probably more time Uh, before the throne of God, before he got thrown out, that is. And so by the time in the tribulation, all those demons in the air engaged in the war with the holy angels and Satan himself are thrown to the earth so that the number of demons on the earth is multiplied massively. Now, I just bring that to your attention that it's going to be a, a time where 
there's going to be a mass demonic invasion upon this earth. So by the time Satan in chapter 9 is given the key, and this is important, by the time he is given the key and this person here who has fallen to the earth, we identified him according to Isaiah and Job and Revelation 12, is Satan himself. He is the fallen star and it's given to him the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. So by the time he's got that, he's already been thrown to earth. All the demons who have occupied the territories in heaven and warred with the holy angels at that level are also cast down. And there is now a great force of demon power in the world more than ever before. And you think, wow, that is absolutely... It, my mind, I can't wrap my mind around that. But that makes the Great Tribulation even more terrifying. Uh, if we have to wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this world, and the spiritual wickedness in heavenlies, and the battle is a formidable one as it is, man, what's it going to be like for the people on earth that were not taken up in the rapture that are going to have to stay here? So number one in the outline is, this is a, a person that we see in verse one. This is the fallen star. Number two, I want you to notice a pit. Uh, it's not enough, Satan says uh, to God, uh, God says to Satan, excuse me, God says to Satan, all right, you want to have your day, you want to have all that you can do. Here's all the demons now on earth you can have and you can do whatever you want to with these demons. Don't know if he ever said that, but that's what it looks like. And so the Lord gives him the key to the bottomless pit to even enhance more demonic activity. This is really amazing. Literally, the pit of the abyss. Uh, one translates it as the shaft of the abyss. If there is some kind of shaft that runs down to a fiery pit, in the belly of the earth, which this refers to as a bottomless pit, no bottom, or at least you can't see the bottom, because down in the pit there are more demons, more of them. Not all of them are in the air, not all of them are in the heavens, not all of them are messing around <coughs> on the earth. Some are in the earth. And I want you to, to notice that, that this Greek term here. It's used seven times in Revelation, and it always refers to the abode of the fallen spirits, the abode of demons, the prison where demons are kept incarcerated. Now, I know as well as anybody, this is a hard thing to comprehend, that some demons were so bad, they've been locked up since their fall, since their first time on earth. And if Peter talks about this, and... and uh, it says he cast him into hell, and the word there is used is is the same word that is used here. But the word that is interesting, but this word is interesting because it comes from Greek mythology. When the Holy Spirit wanted to express hell, he chose words out of the vernacular. When Jesus spoke about hell, he used the word Gehenna because it was the word that uh, for the ever burning city dump in Jerusalem, an unending flame filled with garbage and filth and worms. All that kind of vivid stuff. But the word, as it appears here, comes from Greek mythology. And in Greek mythology, that word referred to as a subterranean place lower than the grave. In other words, a pit uh, 
the grave where most wicked and rebellious beings were sent to receive the worst and most severe punishment. So Jesus plucked the word out of the Jewish mind and culture, and Peter plucks the word out of the Gentile comprehension <coughs> Excuse me, to describe the most terrible, lowest pit of torment and punishment and incarceration, known as the lowest hell. Or as this verse says, a key to the bottomless pit. All this is wrapped up in that word, bottomless pit. So he also refers to this place as a pit of darkness reserved for judgment. The word pit means, now I want you to get this, the word pit actually means a storage place. They used it to store the grains in pits in the ground. They were called pits of blackness because it was dark down there. And so what Peter tells us in his book, chapter 3, is that they have fallen angels, and because of the nature of their iniquity, their wickedness or their sin, the Lord has taken them, plunged them down, incarcerating them or locking them up in chains in pits down below, lower than graves are, or the lowest hell, the place of the severest torment and isolation. And they're there reserved for judgment. Wow. Now, why am I giving you all this? Well, it's all wrapped up in this star who's given the key to the bottomless pit to unlock the bottomless pit. The key was given, the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. And so look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, And he opened the bottomless pit. So all of this being stored there in this storage place, all of these evil spirits in this storage place, well, what happens? Well, when he opens this pit, it says, smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, I know people ask constantly, will ask me, is this figuratively? Is this does this mean something else, or is this literally what I think it is? And I have to tell them, well, you take it literal unless you're told to take it different. So and we are told sometimes to take it different. In fact, when you look down at the appearance here in verse 7, the appearance of the locusts, look, it says, we're like horses. Well, that means they're not horses. You don't see these locusts as horses. They're like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads, as it were, in other words, it looks like crowns, like gold. Not gold, like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. In other words, you take it literal where you can take it literal, and it says that. So when you get to chapter 9, verse 1, I think this literally, a star had fallen. Literally, this is Satan himself. Literally, he was given the key to the bottomless pit. Well, what is that? What is a key to the bottomless pit? Well, the key here is authority, and I want to end it with that. He is given the authority. In other words, he did not have the authority. He is given the authority, and we are going to look next week at who actually has the authority to give the authority. So for now, this is William Rogers, and you've been listening to Hope for the Heart, and I know I hate to stop it right here. I could go for three hours, and uh, let me ask you this. Do you think you could listen for three hours? I don't think so. 
And so I'll, I'll break it off now, and next time we will continue looking at this. I'm not going to skip any. So if there's any particular part of this that you would like to have looked at, uh, save it, underline it, and get ready, because we're I'm going to try to look at every single phrase in chapter 9, because it is so very much important for us to understand. So for now, thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time.